This is your host, Matt Sheeks, and you're listening to the Northwest Race Report. This is part two in our series with Kayla Cobblin, who uh, just had some outstanding results in the amateur field and a couple uh, Ironman races uh, this last summer and fall. And uh, we're following up with her to see kind of how she executed uh, both Ironman Coeur d'Alene, which was in, uh, in some hellacious heat, and also Ironman Louisville, where uh, she dropped um, another solid 30 minutes off of her PR and uh, qualified to be professional, uh, qualified for Kona, etc. Kayla, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, no problem. Here we are again. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's talk about Ironman Coeur d'Alene. So okay. uh, so we knew it was going to be hot. Yes. And I think that's the, the main challenge. Um, also, if you've never done the Ironman Coeur d'Alene course, you'll know that the, the swim is usually fairly cold. It's usually a wetsuit swim. Um, nothing super exciting. You know, it could be, it's in a big lake, so it, it could be choppy. It could be calm. You kind of don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, and then the bike course is fairly boring, although it is it is hard. There's a number of good hills uh, that you have to hit. Uh, it's a two-loop bike course. Um, I think it's something like between 4,000 and 5,000 total elevation change. Um, you know, Ironman seems to kind of inflate their, uh, elevation change on each, uh, race. And, and so it's usually about 1,500 to 2,000 less than what they're stating. And you know, I don't know how they get 7,000 out of a course like Coeur d'Alene. It's not that hard. Um, so it's, it's a challenging Ironman course, uh, like they all should be. Um, however, it's, it is on a pretty, a uh, wide, boring highway with very few turns on this course. Um, and then the run is um, just kind of your average uh, rolling uh, paved marathon, uh, also two loops. Uh, there's one good hill in it uh, that you have to hit twice, and you actually have to go up it, down it, then turn around, go up it, down it, and then you have to do it again on the next lap. They yeah, go ahead. three loops. Oh, this that's year. right. It was three loops this year. Three incredibly hilly, humid loops. <laughs> okay, so it's hillier now is what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously, my painful days out there, um, uh, that's all I remember. So <laughs> so tell us about the, the race strategy. I know that I didn't want to be first out of the water in the swim because swimming isn't my strong suit. So I knew if I was first out in my age group, I was doing something wrong talking with you a lot of it was just keeping my heart rate below a certain number on the bike um but also just making sure i was having fun out there because i was getting passed by some people and passing people that just did not look like they were enjoying what they were doing so i really wanted to focus on you know i'm out here for a reason not just to you know suffer myself um mm -hmm. and in the run basically i didn't look at my watch the entire run i yeah. Didn't look at, I didn't look at my heart rate. None of that mattered. I just kind of turned my brain off and just did what I did best and just went. 
So there was there was really no strategy on the run. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it was just kind of run. Sure, sure. Well, I think the the main strategy was probably the nutrition strategy. Yes. Uh, yeah. So if you remember that, we had uh, you know oodles of spreadsheets outlining exactly how many um, calories you needed, uh, fluid intake, sodium. Uh, yeah, and the electrolyte uh, content. So we kind of had to to take everything that you were consuming and then split it up into those three categories to make sure you you weren't going whatever it is hypernatremic versus hyponatremic, right? That your, right. Uh, blood sodium levels would stay in check, and it seems like we must have done okay in that regard because unlike ninety nine percent of Ironman athletes, <laughs> your your mile splits were dead even. They were. They were. Oddly perfect for uh, not even looking at my watch. You know, I'm I'm not against the strategy of uh, <laughs> kind of going by feel on on the run. Like uh, we wanted to be smart about it on the bike, and so I'm looking back at your uh, what I had suggested for you, and I said just kind of keep it between 150 and 160 the whole way. Uh, I seem to remember you did that. Uh, you had a good you had a good ride compared to uh, kind of what you had been doing in training. You know, I think you'd go out and average 17, 17 and a half on rides out in the mm-hmm. Seattle area, which is pretty challenging territory. And then you averaged like 19 at Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, I was I was really happy with that. And and for those of you that don't know, I am notorious for not eating during my workouts. That's um, true. And Matt has had to really push that on me, um, not because. I don't want to, I just, I forget, and I just really like the working out aspect and like kind of being in that moment and just training that it's really easy for me to just forget. Having Matt being like, hey, you need to eat at these times, I think really, really helped because I would not have eaten as much as I had if it wasn't for that spreadsheet. Yeah, good point. I don't think you followed it exactly, but it sounds like it was... It was certainly a lot better than if we had not come up with that plan, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you had a pretty good idea in your head of um, when you should take your salt tablets, when it should be a gel, when it should be a solid. Yeah, there were, I don't know how many different products you had during the day, but probably seven to ten different products if you think about it, right? You add in the stuff that's kind of on the run at the end that's just at the aid stations and you've got several different things going on. Another thing about racing in the heat is that we wanted to keep the the caffeine content down. That's something that I've kind of figured out just through practice is I've, um, you know, accidentally gotten handed a a highly caffeinated gel and it's been in 95 degree heat and, uh, you know, it's got 80 milligrams of caffeine. It's like, hey, you know, we reserved for you, Matt, the cliff shot double espresso shot or you know whatever it is and uh and then you take the gel and then you feel good for about one minute and then you promptly blow up and i don't know why that is but i know um i believe caffeine is a vasoconstrictor and so um i believe what it's it's pushing uh blood out to the extremities somehow so that's not what you want in the heat you've got plenty of of blood to your extremities i did really good on the the bike portion with um like setting out my gels like every two gels one would have caffeine um on the run i blew up a little bit i had a mini bonk where again i just i pulled a kayla and just forgot to eat for like 45 minutes and i was at mile 19 and things got weird and started getting really dizzy and 
couldn't communicate to the aid station people what I wanted, so they were giving me Coca-Cola and one of those darn double espresso gels. <laughs> um, so I, I did it too. I made that mistake, and then luckily my special needs bag came around. I drank some apple juice, and then I was all good. It was apple juice and something else, wasn't it? I think it, oh, I think it was another fig bar. Yeah, fig bars seem to work well. I, I did read something from Dave Scott recently saying how there's too much magnesium, I think, in fig bars. But I, oh. he was doing entirely fig bars during his entire Ironman Hawaii. <laughs> oh, I couldn't do that. So, I mean, that's probably just a bad idea in general to eat the same thing the entire time. Uh, no way. There's, there's something about fig bars potentially giving you GI distress, but I haven't noticed that. I, I think in the portions that we're doing it, it's probably fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you are taking a solid and it's hot, it's... It's good to have something that's going to go down a little bit smoother than like a nice dry cliff bar. Yeah, so good. So just as a review, um, because we're kind of we're kind of all over the place. So the swim, uh, we kind of had you go six out of ten effort. Um, obviously, in an Ironman, uh, there's not a lot to to gain in the swim. If you go super hard, you can uh, gain two three minutes maybe. Um, but more than likely, if you swim too hard, it's just going to take away, you know, minutes or hours from the rest of the race. Uh, so we had Kayla hold back a little bit there, especially knowing that her, her swimming wasn't, like, amazing at that point. Yeah, and then the bike, we just had her stay in just a really tight range, so 150 to 160 beats a minute. And just let that be the guide. And uh, Kayla was pretty successful with that, as well as nailing her nutrition. And then the run, you know, I think I think we talked about this, but Kayla just went by feel we kind of had a, a scheme for what to do at each aid station uh, and then just like repeat the cycle. So it was aid station one, get water, aid station two, get ice, aid station three, get calories, aid station four, get sports drink, you know, something like that. That ice uh, saved my run. Okay. I yeah. Al- I think almost every aid station I grabbed ice because in the matter of two minutes of leaving the aid station, the ice was already melted. Wow. Ice in your hands. Um, it does help cool down your, your core temperature. So if you have a limited amount of ice, uh, I believe the military did some experiments where they had figured out that that's the best spot to cool yourself down is, is actually in your hands. Um, it has something to do with all the capillary endings in, in your hands, and um, it's able to shuttle that cool blood uh back in the rest of your body um, most effectively if you have a limited amount um, of cooling mechanism to deal with. So there might be some debate on that. I mean, maybe some people think like on top of the head or back of the neck is good too, but um, seems to be working for us with the ice in the hands thing. And it's obviously it's really easy at an Ironman because they, they give you ice and you just hold it. So there's no extra technology or extra gear uh, required. So then, so what were your mile splits um, on the run? I think I was averaging a 745 pace or 750 yeah, it was very close to that, and it was basically like if you go back and you look at Kayla's mile splits, it's. I mean, they were between, all within five seconds. Yeah, it's between like 7:45 and 7:55 for every single split, except for that one at mile 19 where you didn't consume enough calories and it'd been a while. Um, yep. Then there was like a nine-minute mile or something, which includes <laughs> yep. the stop at special needs, right? Yeah. So, so there, so it couldn't have been that bad of a blow up, but um, no. Got the calories back in you and kept going, and then I think you kicked it down actually. Even the last three or four miles, you you sped up. <laughs> I did, I did. My my friend John um, was at special needs and he was tracking, and I remember him yelling at me. He goes, "You're first for your age group." 
the second place girl is six minutes behind you. And I was so far gone at that point that I just remembered six minutes. That's too close. I need to create a bigger gap. So I just shut everything off and just ran my little heart to the finish line. Well, that's cool. Yeah, you had to run down a lot of girls. So obviously, you know, when it's game time, you want to you want to think about running people down and not really leaving anything in the tank and uh, being aggressive. So, uh, so good finish there. Okay. So that brings us to, um, let's just jump into Louisville. So, um, Louisville, like totally different situation, uh, right. The, the temperature wasn't, uh, wasn't nearly as hot. Um, we'd maybe expected it to be warm and I don't think it ended up being, ended up being totally average. It was probably between 56 and 63 all day. So, so obviously we scaled back. Like we, we took that spreadsheet that we had from Coeur d'Alene with um, all of our nutrition data on it, and we scaled back um, the electrolyte content and the fluid content, obviously. Um, kept the calories about the same. Uh, but, yeah, if you don't know uh, Louisville, uh, you swim in a river, and so you got to swim upstream for a little bit. Then you you finish on the downstream side, so you get you get a little bit of assistance with the the current, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that water is extremely murky and dirty, so you can't you can't see your hand the second you put it in the water. Um, so it was, it was really disgusting. So I didn't have the greatest swim there, and I kept swallowing a bunch of water, and I remember just immediately my stomach just churning and hating myself and i just remember thinking like oh no like if i'm already feeling like this on the swim you know i i i I gotta pull this together here because i got a long day ahead of me yeah the swim was brutal um the first third of a mile you swim upstream um and you don't you don't feel the current until you turn around and realize how hard you're swimming against the current i also need to admit i'm not the best cider so, you know, part of this may have been my problem. Right. Uh, but just people swim over you. Um, I had a guy put his arm over my head trying to swim. I had a, my goggles ripped off. Um, I was just, I was so frustrated. And I was inhaling that disgusting, murky water. And I misjudged. The bridges, there's three bridges you swim underneath, and that's kind of your your uh, mental marker for how you know you're going to, like, exit the water soon. Mm-hmm. I misjudged it. I thought there were four bridges. So I looked at the third bridge, and I was like, okay, I better slow down because I still have to swim under that other bridge. So I slowed way down. I kind of just went into this, like, easy swim mode of, like, I'm just swimming just to swim, but in no way is this my race pace. And then next thing you know, I look up and there's the swim exit. And I'm like, oh, I completely misjudged this. I would have swam way faster. But with the current and um, with my all the drills that I was doing for those six weeks, I still ended up out of the water in an hour, uh, like 45 seconds, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So right around an hour and probably primarily just because it's a it's an easy swim also i noticed that your you know all your times had come down after Coeur d'Alene, um both in the pool and in open water um yeah you were just swimming better so i mean your 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 uh fitness had improved to where um you know it didn't make a huge it didn't cause a huge problem that you didn't have your best swim ever okay so then uh so then the bike 
I was really happy to be out of the water. And I just remember like, I wasn't in a good like mental headspace in the water. So I just told myself, I'm going to leave that there and I'm going to get on the bike and I'm going to have a great day. So I did got on the bike. It's pretty, uh, rolling hills there weren't too many flat parts which i don't mind because where i ride there aren't a lot of flat roads either let's say the first 25 miles are fine and then all of a sudden kind of the clouds rolled in and then it started to rain and then it got really windy and then the sun came out i mean the weather just did everything in a matter of four hours um but it got especially bad near the last hour on the bike where it was just pure headwind into extreme gusts of wind. Um, when I came back into the transition tent, the uh, the metal bars kind of around transition were falling apart. All the, the tents, like the transition tents, were getting ripped up from the gusts. So that, that wind was no joke. So that one was um, most difficult, just kind of coming back into town, right? Um absolutely uh on the bike course so that's a stretch of how long is that it was about 20 miles Tw- so 20 miles of raging headwind raging yeah. Headwind. Yeah. yeah but it was beautiful i don't get a really ride around that type of scenery so um the ride itself was awesome um my internal bladder decided it didn't it didn't want to work so i had this like um hammer perpetuum drink mix in there for whatever reason it just it just wouldn't work so i had to rely on all the aid station stuff which is fine because luckily you've told me to kind of you know train with what's at the aid station so i didn't have an issue there yeah yeah and just for clarification for the audience you're internal bladder that's being referred to as the one in your specialized bike not your other bladder <laughs> <laughs> Correct. some people might misunderstand that so <laughs> just for the clarification <laughs> yeah the bladder in yes. the bike and those um those bladders in the specialized shiv are a little bit fussy so yes um okay so not the fastest day ever and then uh so what happens on the run just to clarify i went to louisville by myself so i had nobody there in transition telling me what place i was in what i needed to do i had absolute zero idea um i knew uh coming off the bike i wasn't you know in first by any means Uh, i just kind of had a feeling so i just kept telling myself for the entire race, I was like, all right, you're third place. That was like my mentality. And um, I did the same thing like what I did in Coeur d'Alene. I think I looked at my watch twice. Um, I looked at it like the first couple miles and I was running like a 7.20 pace. And I was like, that's great, I feel good. I'm not gonna look at it any longer. Um, So I, it's a two loop course and the first loop like, unbeknownst to me i passed all the girls in my age group and i was getting into like the top like overall spots for the non-pro people but yeah i just had that mentality of just nope you're in third so just keep running this pace right um so the second loop came around and started getting pretty cold and pretty windy um and i remember the second time i looked at my watch it was mile 18 because I realized I really had to go to the bathroom. Okay. Um, I've already peed at this point, so 
this time it was the other thing that <laughs> had to happen. So I remember like coming up on this aid station and I remember looking at the porta potty and I'm like, all right, I could go in there. I could like take off my kit. I could do my business and I could be out in probably about three, four minutes. Right. Yeah. But a couple things went through my head like, okay, well, what if I stop and my legs just don't want to start running again? Right. Or what if I stop, but then I start running at a really slow pace or if I stop, then a girl might pass me. Yeah, that's so, a that's a legit concern. I've had that happen before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, take the bathroom stop. Your body realizes how sore you are, and then you cannot get going again. And I I was already nine hours into this race, and I just remember thinking, you know, I did I have not suffered for nine hours to come in second place in my age group and not get to Kona. So I totally pooped my pants at mile eighteen. <laughs> And, uh, it, it was a good decision. I'm glad I did it. Um, uh, luckily my, you know, my tri kit was very tight, so it held everything all in one place. Um, unfortunately that got kind of uncomfortable near the end. Oh, I'm um, sure. <laughs> so by the end, I think I had, well, I was running that like that for about eight miles by the end. Um, yeah, things were things were slipping around and I, I, you know, when I finished in Coeur d'Alene, I was just so happy to finish and it was the whole experience and I was so grateful to be at that finish line. And when I crossed the finish line in Louisville, um, you know, I didn't know anybody at the finish line, but I just remember being covered in poop and I just remember <laughs> I was so, I, I didn't even, I didn't even care what I just accomplished. I just wanted to take a shower and that's, that's all I thought running down that carpet is I was like, oh my gosh, I can go walk to my Airbnb and finally shower. So I, so I don't know if that kind of took away from my big finish, but um, I was really happy to finish. <laughs> well, that's Ironman racing, and there's been several <laughs> races won and uh, uh, races lost, perhaps, uh, where this becomes an issue. You know, what other, what other high-level sport can you say you can still win an Ironman, you know, crapping your pants? <laughs> Absolutely, and it's okay. And it's okay, yeah. I remember I think Lionel Sanders had to crap his pants to win Ironman Arizona last year. Oh, right? man. It was some race around that time, and, and man, I, I put down a pretty good split at Ironman Lake Placid um, in 2010 with a similar issue and still posted the fastest run split, so... Uh, <laughs> If things happen out there, especially with you consuming just, you know, uh, an entire mountain of maltodextrin once you add yes. it all up. <laughs> yes. Well, that's disgusting, but I, I'm glad yeah. you, uh, I'm glad you put down a, so you put down a 1013. I did. I did. I think my marathon time was 318. 318 for the marathon. Okay. So that was, that was the top marathon split for the ladies, uh, for yes. amateurs. Yep. Yeah, and that I'm looking at the results right now. That would have done you pretty well um, in in the pro ranks as well, maybe uh, fifth or sixth um, time for the marathon. But there's some awesome, pretty fast ladies in there. Yeah, so 10:13. You know, I know a lot of uh, you know kind of uh, guys that would consider themselves to be fast amateurs that would be you know really happy to do a 10-hour Ironman. So yeah. uh, on a not super fast day, that's pretty epic. 
So, uh, so why don't you tell us about maybe some of the uh, just in, incredibly difficult or maybe uh, key workouts um, leading up to uh, those races? One particular weekend that sticks out in my mind, and maybe you can give me some more info on this, um, was that lovely double ride weekend you had me do. Mm-hmm. Yep, got it up. <laughs> yeah, so five hours Saturday. Uh, that's it, just just a five-hour ride, um, just kind of keeping it average. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, not an incredible thing. But then you follow that up with another long ride um, of shorter distance with the T-run. And I found that that can really improve you pretty quickly. So it was an 86-mile ride for you and then 60 the next day and then a uh, five-and-a-quarter-mile T-run immediately after uh, that second long ride. And there were there was 2 by 20 within that second long ride. Uh, so two by 20 minutes at, you know, Ironman pace or whatever you had left at that point. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. 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 That was, uh, that was brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just getting on the bike the day after doing the first long ride is probably the worst part in my opinion. Oh yeah. And just, I mean, more so just mentally than anything, because you, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You know you're not going to have a great ride and things are going to hurt. And, um, you know, the riding around here, it's not flat. Those rides I did were not easy by any means. Um, so that was brutal, but I do think that was a really effective weekend for me. You know, that's just another kind of trial and error thing that I figured out. Uh, tends to work. Um, another thing that we we did, and uh, I've been experimenting with with uh, several athletes, is moving from uh, bike run workouts on the weekends, and as you get closer to your Ironman race, switching it to swim bike t t mm -hmm. workouts. And so we had you do that, and I think I typically have people do two and a half k swim time trial, and then a one o five k bike time trial, and that's it for the weekend. And people hate me because they feel like they should be tapering, <laughs> but they they really do need a, another dose of race specific workout, and that's what they're getting with this like um, kind of this time trial effort. Uh, and then the next week they have to do it again, except it's shorter. It's like 2k, 90k swim bike workout, and you know people realize their humanity uh, in these workouts because they go out and, and time trial at Ironman pace, and it's like only just a touch faster than their their normal training pace you know once you, you've done all that like you can feel like you're time trialing but you know eventually you're you're gonna lock into that pace that is your Ironman pace which is is only just fractionally faster than your training pace <laughs> totally totally yeah, and yeah. I think too um a big surprise for me was um with the training and like leading up to the race like I definitely tapered um but it, even those like four to five days leading up to the race um you know, I didn't really shut things down. Like the day before both my races, I basically did a like a sprint distance triathlon. You know, whereas kind of the average person might think, oh, well, you just want to rest as much as possible. Um, so that was kind of eye opening. To you know, you don't want to totally shut things down. You just want to scale it way back. Yeah, yeah. So typically, uh, what I'm shooting for, and and this is difficult. Um, 
in an Ironman week with travel, so you want to you want to factor in uh, whether your race is a travel race or whether it's you know if it's a 45 minute or, or one hour drive, then you could probably even train more. Um, but what I'm shooting for for most people is like a 70 to 80 percent, um, not a 70 to 80 percent reduction, but a like a 20 to 20 to 30 percent reduction of your training volume. So 70 to 80 percent of your usual volume. Um, and that will usually give people pretty good results for their taper. Um, you know, do that over like a, a two week period. Um, and you should be good to go. But, uh, we kind of do things a little bit different where we have people ramp down like the week before a lot of the times and then kind of keep things steady, um, the next week, yep. Hof- hopefully with all, with all the travel and so forth. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, um, you know. I've seen a lot of people over taper and, and bomb big races and uh, it seems to be the safer strategy to kind of uh, keep the engine running a little bit hotter and uh, keep that aerobic aerobic uh, engine working and keep the fat burning system uh, working. So if you taper down, you do all these really short workouts, well, you're, you're kind of back in the, the glycogen burning system um, is the theory. And if you just do that for weeks and weeks and weeks, then you go out and do this 10 hour race where, where all you need is, you know, the, the primary component is your fat burning system. Well, you're going to have a terrible race. So that's why even, even, you know, leading up to the event, like you, you know, it's going to be lower volume, but you might have some days that are getting you up to the two and a half, three hour, uh, sort of range. So why do you think you've been able to improve so much in the past six months? And, and even since you've started to, uh, you've started, uh, as a triathlete. Uh, well, is it corny to say hiring you as a coach? (laughs) I mean, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I really do think that's been a, a huge, huge factor. Um, and kind of giving me these workouts that, um, I might not normally would do or think of, um, as a 23 year old, I don't know why I would sign myself up to go ride 80, 90 miles every weekend. Um, when I could be doing other things. <laughs> so, um, yeah. that's been, that's been really helpful. And also it's been cool to kind of see like, oh, I can do like everything you put on, you know, my plan. Um, also, yeah, having someone accountable, whereas before, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel guilty skipping a workout, but it's like, oh, I don't really have to swim. I don't really have to work out. But now it's like, no, like I had these workouts. This is, you know, this is all kind of a, over like a big plan and yep. um, things just need to get executed. Yeah, I probably would not be riding a bike as much, which would mean I would probably be a lot slower. I definitely would not be doing drills in swimming. <laughs> um, I, I hate drills, but I know how important they are, so I do them. Uh, no, but seriously, yeah, you, you've definitely opened my eyes into this world that I'm very new in, um, and have kind of really helped guide me the right direction. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, you know, hopefully I'm creating a training plan that's as as close as we can guess is what's going to work the best for improving you. Um, but at the end of the day, like you got to put in the work too. And so, you know, you can be the best coach in the world and, uh, if someone doesn't follow the training plan, um, you're not going to get results from it. Some people that are listening might just be, you know, if they're just starting, like uh, you, a lot of coaches can get you to just improve, especially if you're um, pretty new. 
uh, right. to the sport. It's just a question of how much. So um, <laughs> I wish it was. I wish my own training was working as well as uh, <laughs> my the training that I'm delegating to you. <laughs> uh, so, and this might be why. What other strategies are you using right now to maximize your athletic performance? Um, sleep. Yes. Sleep has been huge because I've had weekends where I've tried to run on a little sleep and to go out on my Friday nights and um, it, it never ends well. So sleep has been huge. Uh, I always, my goal for every day is drink a gallon of water. So I always stay really, really hydrated. I don't know, you have to have fun, right? Like that's a, that's a huge thing for me, especially with these Ironman races. Like you can only do so many of these races a year. And if you're spending, yeah. you know, 20 hours a week putting in this training for, you know, maybe three or four days of your year, like you have to enjoy training, I think, almost more than racing because you're going to be doing a heck of a lot more training than you are racing. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense to me. You know, not every person that was like on my college cross country team, for instance, really enjoyed training there in it ju- just for the performance benefit but the the good triathletes in general you know they really love to get out there and train (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know i just i really like um kind of pushing myself like almost to unsafe limits just to kind of see what my body can do um and just like really digging deep in that pain cave um i just i find a lot of pleasure in that (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. See what your body is capable of. Explore your limits. You know, I think that's a big reason why uh, a lot of people are in this sport. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you can, you know, you can certainly see a big, uh, a big reward from it. Like you can just improve so much just by being able to combine the the three sports together. And they, um, uh, in, in a lot of cases, they're they're improving you overall, you know, uh, totally. one sport kind of supports the other sport. Uh, so you, you can get some really freakishly fast, uh, triathletes that can often, you know, compete against, uh, runners and cyclists, um, that are, you know, really high level runners and cyclists. And sometimes a triathlete can compete with those people. Yep. Um, very cool. Well, I think that, I think that basically wraps us up. Uh, awesome. so basically, do your training that your coach tells you to do and <laughs> things will work out well. <laughs> exactly. And drink lots of water and sleep a lot. <laughs> cool. So, uh, so do you want to close with, uh, telling us kind of what's on tap for you for this next season? What are you excited about? Yeah. Well, right now I'm in my off season and I'm enjoying every second of it. Um, I've had off seasons where I, I don't really have an off season and think I can just keep training. Um, and that never ends up well. So I'm actually enjoying this one. Uh, my goal for this off season, actually, you don't know this, Matt. My goal is to, um, get to Athena weight, which is 150 pounds for women. Okay. Um, so basically I just, I go to the gym a lot and do a lot of squats and deadlifts so I can get strong for cycling and build up that muscle. So it'll carry me on throughout the year. Um, and then next year, my big, uh, my big race is definitely Kona. Um, I do, I do have a goal of that, of wanting to win my age group in Kona. Um, 
Other than that, I don't, there might be a couple more Iron Mans, maybe just one more. Uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, we do I have to. Know. We we will have to plan your season at some point. So uh, yeah. now that now that you're big time, your sponsors will be expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. No, but uh, for for now, for the month of December, I am just going to the gym and trying to get big and gain weight. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll take things one step at a time. Awesome. Yeah, well, um, you know, I wish you the best for next season, and uh, yeah, let's make some good stuff happen. Thank you. I, uh, I'm excited to see what one full year of working with you, where that can take me, so I'm looking forward to 2018. Yeah, good stuff. Me too. Well, um, I'm Matt Sheeks. Um, I'm the coach for uh, Tritheos Coaching. Uh, it's basically a one-man show. It's just me coaching triathletes, <laughs> whoever I'll take. Uh, but I also coach runners and cyclists and people that want to do their first marathon. Um, doesn't really matter to me at this point, but uh, occasionally I get to work with someone that's uh, an outstanding performer like Kayla, and uh, that's obviously uh, pretty satisfying as well. So this has been uh, Matt Sheeks and Kayla Cobblin uh, for the Northwest Race Report podcast, and we will catch you guys later. See ya.